Welcome to the Lightly Salted Podcast. These are the readings and sermons of St. John's Lutheran Church of Park Rapids, Minnesota. They are offered so that the Word of God would shape and strengthen you to be what He calls you to be, salt and light. You can find us at stjohnspr.org. Now, on to the Word. The Old Testament reading for this third Sunday in Advent is from Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress, instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring that the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts. And as a garden causes it what is sown in it to sprout up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, according to St. John, the first chapter. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John, and he came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews send priests and Levites 
from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. John, the prophet of joy. I'm not sure you would see that coming as a title for a sermon because joy is not one thing we often associate with John. After all, he's a fiery preacher of repentance. Over the years since we've been using screens, I think I've used this picture depicting John like four times because it's the only one I can find where he's smiling. Usually he is very serious and stern. And it's an earned image. It fits with the few fragments of his prophecy that we know come from his mouth. You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? <laughs> Try this on. Oh, you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Or again, try this one. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be thrown into the fire. Hallelujah! Right? You, you, you get the point. But I'm going to stick to my guns. John is the prophet of joy. After all, the very first time we meet John in the Scriptures, what is he doing? He's leaping for joy in his mother's womb because he has heard the voice of his Lord's mother. And when John later points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of the God who takes away the sin of the world, how do you think those words came out? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Could have been. But it also could have been sort of excited, right? And sort of excitement that's built up because he's been waiting for, preparing the way for the Lord. And he's there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's here, finally. And even when John is preaching repentance, can't that be joyful too? 
We say it in one of our prayers, a communion prayer, that it is with a repentant joy that we receive the salvation accomplished for us by Jesus' all-availing sacrifice on the cross. No, it's not that repenting in in and of itself is a joyful activity. I mean, it is not good to really give ourselves a serious examination and say, I am what God says I am, a poor, miserable sinner. But we're willing to confess who God says we are to hear the other news, to hear the Word spoken by the Lamb of God. Your sins are forgiven. Those words should fill us with joy. You know, they say familiarity breeds contempt. And that is one of the problems with a liturgical service like we have. We know the words. Our spirit may be with those words or our minds may be wandering while our mouths go like this. But when we know who we are, when we reflect on what we've done and what we have failed to do, when we confess that we have fallen short of the glory of God, boy, wouldn't it be horrible if the pastor just walked away and said, yeah, you betcha. You are ridiculous. Your sin is destructive and you won't stop it. But no, always rejoice that at the end of confession, we will always proclaim or pray for the joy of the forgiveness we have in Christ our Savior. And that forgiveness, you see, that's why John is baptizing. Yes, he's calling sinners to repentance. And yes, he gives them guidance and direction in how their lives should be different as they go forward out of the waters. But he is baptizing for forgiveness. That's the good news. That's the joy of it all. And that's also why the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem come out and confront him. If he was just getting people to confess their sins and then just pouring a little symbolic water over them, well, that's really no big deal. But a baptism for forgiveness? John! Who do you think you are, huh? You can't just forgive people, John. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that sinners have to prove themselves first. They've got to clean themselves up first. They've got to stop sinning first. They've got to promise to do better, and they've got to show you they're going to do better. Then they can be forgiven. But for you, John, you're just calling them to repentance? It doesn't work that way, John. Problem is, somebody forgot to give God that memo because that's exactly how forgiveness works. And it's exactly why it brings such great joy because it is a gift, undeserved, unearned, because of the one, the one greater than John, who came and who earned it for us. The Lamb of God, the Son of God, who laid down his perfect, sinless life for all of our imperfect and sinful lives. He took the punishment and he took the wrath that we deserve. And in return, he said, Father, forgive them. 
Now, if there was any joyless place on the earth ever, it would be on that cross. But forgiveness even changes the cross. In the book of Hebrews, we hear these words, that Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Not that hanging on the cross was a joyful thing, but why He was there and what He was accomplishing, it certainly was. And because of that joy, the joy of forgiving your sins, He hung there and endured the wrath of God. For the joy of you receiving life, He was willing to breathe His last. For the joy of you having resurrection hope, He was willing to have His body put in a tomb for you. That you would receive the gift and the joy of forgiveness in Him. And in His ministry... There was an awful lot of joy around Jesus. Angels and shepherds and wise men rejoice in his birth. We're going to hear after Christmas the story of Simeon and Anna as they rejoice when he's brought to the temple. Sinners, outcasts, lepers, tax collectors, they all rejoice in Jesus and his forgiveness. And so too John the Baptist. Because his is the most joyous task. Because he's making straight the way of the Lord and the way of the Lord is to bring forgiveness. And it's been that way from the very beginning. After the first sin, what did God do? He promised a Savior. And do you think, do you think there might have been just a little bit of joy that day when Adam and Eve realized that God did not utterly reject them, did not destroy them, but rather promised to send them who would undo what they had done? Yes, there were consequences meted out that day. Yes, they messed up. We do too. But to make it right, especially with God, isn't on us, but on another. Adam and Eve would have to wait a long time, trusting the promise of God would come true. And they did, when the time was just right. And the joy of announcing that and preparing the way for him, that joy was given to John. So when those priests and those Levites came to John that day, challenging him, asking him, just who do you think you are, John? I love John's answer. You know, he could have said, he could have defended himself this way. I'm the son of Zechariah the priest. And Elizabeth, a daughter of Aaron. I am a priest and a Levite just like you guys. But he didn't. Instead, he said what the Word of God said he was. I'm the one who's come to announce the long-awaited Savior is here. I'm the one to prepare the way. I'm the prophet of joy. Prophesied in Isaiah as we heard today. And you know what? John's answer is yours answer is your answer as well. You know, when we're asked who we are, oftentimes we, of course, give our name, right? And then oftentimes it leads to our occupation because those are things that identify us. But one confession we should always make when we're asked who we are is what we are eternally 
what the Word of God says that we are. I am a baptized, forgiven child of God. And there is joy in that. That's why St. Paul could advise us today, as we heard in the letter to the Thessalonians, rejoice always. Not an easy thing to do, is it? To rejoice when life is tough, when difficulties seem overwhelming, when your plans, the plans you made for your life, the direction you set out for your life, it's just not working out. When the doctor gives you the bad news, when the world keeps plunging deeper and deeper into sin and rebellion against God, when the future is uncertain, when you fill in the blank. As we face these things, re to rejoice always, well, that seems like an irrelevant and a silly, even maddening platitude. Like someone telling you, smile, it'll be okay. That's the last thing you want to do in those situations. And you cannot always rejoice in the things that are happening in the world. They are things that are happening in your life. But you can always rejoice in who you are. A baptized, forgiven child of God. It's a gift given to you that serves as a base at all times, in all circumstances, in the good and the bad and the ups and the downs. God has made a promise to you and He does not take it back. It is a joy for Him to give you these promises and they are the basis of our joy. A joy that can get us through those times. Because St. Paul also said that the one who has called us, who promises us peace, who sanctifies us through and through, the one who has called us is faithful. He will do it. That's something to rejoice in. And so we light the rose-colored candle on Advent wreath today. The candle of joy. The season of Advent is a season of repentance. But it is also a season of joy. Joy at the coming of our Savior. On this third Sunday in Advent, our remembrance of His birth draws even closer. And there will be a great joy on that day. But we also remember that His second coming is closer as well. And even greater will be our joy on that day as well, when all the promises made to us in baptism are finally and fully fulfilled and realized, when we will rise to new life, freed from sin, freed to live in holiness and righteousness forever. That's the message John prepares the way for. That's why the next time you think of John, don't think of him as that strict and somber and serious guy who never smiled, who just called people out, just made them feel bad, behave better maybe. But remember John, the prophet of joy, who brought the joy of the Lord and his forgiveness to so many, even to us today, centuries later. Every Advent season, announcing to us, proclaiming to us the great joy 
that our Savior is here, that his forgiveness is here, that his faithfulness is forever. Amen. And may the peace of God that transcends all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ, your joy and your salvation. Thanks for listening to Lightly Salted. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at stjohnspr.org or look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our thanks to Eric Medeish at soundimage.org for Morning Jew. God's blessings.